see a picture of them say, oh, wow the way it looks is what I want to feel and hopefully it would be mastery not terror yeah but often it was terror <laughs> yeah What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to the Power Company Podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. Today is a rewind back to a conversation first published in October of 2020 with climbing legend Paul Piana. And we chose this episode to air today because it was 35 years ago this month that Paul and Todd Skinner topped out on the first free ascent of El Cap via the Salathay Wall, nearly dying in the process, but helping to shape the dreams of many generations of climbers to come. Lynn Hill doing the nose a few years later, Tommy Caldwell on the Dawn Wall, and the new generation of climbers like Connor Herson, Jordan Cannon, Brittany Gorris, and Amity Warm. And most important, what this latest generation has pulled from Paul and his contemporaries is that it's important to do it all. Bouldering, sport, big walls, both adventure and difficulty, and a reverence for history without letting the mythology hold you back. In this conversation, we talk about several things you can find links to at the blog post in your show notes. First, I mentioned the cowboy poem, and I recently put a full-length recording of it online on the Plug Tone Outdoors podcast channel. It's a two-verse cowboy poem that tells the story of a gambler, and it uses the root names that Paul, Todd, Frank Dussel, Greg Collins, and more added to lander area climbing. It uses over 100 of those root names, and you can hear it if you follow the links in your show notes. We also discuss his book, Big Walls, Breakthroughs on the Free Climbing Frontier. Many years ago, when Paul was having some financial trouble, Amy Skinner bought every copy of the book that Paul had. And those sat in a garage for many years until I asked Amy to pull them out, get Paul to sign them, and we could use the profits from that to help Amy and the Todd Skinner Legacy Fund. We still have a few of those signed copies, and you can pick those up right there at the link in your show notes. So now, 35 years after he realized one of his own dreams and jump-started the dreams of so many others, we're going to rewind to this conversation about mentorship, partnership, and dreaming big with climbing legend Paul Piana. Let's get into it. Now you can get out into the needles more. And oh, well, more. I can. Yeah, yeah. Is that part of the plan? Are you going to get out climbing more? Yeah, I mean, not as much as I used to. Sure. And I'm not really looking to do things hard. I just, you know, because I'm in not very good shape. And I'm very arthritic. Mm. And all sorts of geezer infirmities. <laughs> well, and you're, you're climbing in the same area now that you learn mm -hmm. to climb in essentially right mm -hmm. and, yeah you know one of the things i want to talk to you about is uh, two of the things actually big dreams and and partnerships and how those two things kind of go hand in hand mm -hmm. and 
when you started, you had these really, these mentors that made a big difference in your climbing life. Ren Fenton and Paul Mule, was that his name? Well, he was later, but I had, uh, there were some older climbers, older to me when I was 12 and 14. Yeah. Um, There was a guy named Charlie Bear that was a local. Mm. And these guys would uh, get together with, there was occasionally uh, outing clubs at the School of Mines or Black Hill State. And there would be groups of people that Charlie and this guy named Doc Van Heuvelin, who was ancient, Mm. He was probably in his late fifties then, um, <laughs> but he uh, they would gather these students and go out and climb. And then he, you know they were doing just easy climbs, sure. pump, summit bagging, having fun, yeah, and climbing harder than I was by a long shot, you know, because I didn't know what to do right. until Ren came. I found him and pestered him enough, yeah. And then every August, this was later, but. Bob Camps and Mark Powell and Dave Rerick would come and Goldstone from the East. Right. And um, mostly I just kind of watched and listened because they kind of didn't come there to sh- to drag a little kid around, you know. Mm-hmm. But it was really neat to see what they did and how they did it, do it, did it. It was pretty cool. When When you were like first pestering Ren and and him taking you under his wing, was he at that time interested in difficulty? Was he trying to climb harder and harder things or was it purely a, I just want to go out and have these adventures? I think at that point, he wasn't very old then, but he was already really a bad alcoholic mm. and he loved to climb, but he wasn't trying to do new routes or... Um, do harder climbs. Right. He was. He enjoyed doing uh, some of the climbs he pioneered, and then other ones that. And I think he would have preferred a better partner, because I remember once showing me he was showing me how to actually tie in with the climbers' knots. You know, right. not just square knots and stuff. Right. You know. <laughs> but uh, the things he taught me probably saved me a couple of times sure you know yeah i think that's one of the big values of mentorship Mm -hmm. that you know we we tend to overlook now because there's so much information out there about here's how you do this safely here's you know you can google it and Mm -hmm. find anything now so that passed down knowledge doesn't happen in the same way that it used to Mm -hmm. yeah and it was all pitons there were no and one day ran it ordered from RAI, I think, some, and they came, just those ancient nuts that you threaded, they mm-hmm. didn't, you know, it was just like you could put five or 50 right. of them on a sling. They're just like aluminum wedges with yeah. holes in them, yeah. And you, I thought, you got to be kidding. You know, that's not going to hold. <laughs> but I, and I don't know that he or I ever fell on one, but um, I just went, oh God, this isn't going to sell, you know. And now, geez, you never see pitons used very much in the needles you do if you're doing first ascents but Mm -hmm. um that's just because of the nature of the rock sure (laughs) ridiculous we used to go out and like wow look at that there's a piton up there 
and we'd climb the thing just to get the pitons. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I I was out hunting around uh, an area we've been bouldering in for a few years now and came across this kind of steep wall, maybe 40 to 60 feet tall. And it's got all these big horizontal cracks running through it. And sure enough, there's a piton, a couple of pitons. Really? Up on the wall. Yeah. That's and cool. Yeah. Super interesting to see that, you know, climbers have been searching this stuff out and you were just showing us photos on your phone of this limestone cliff that you found. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you scroll through my phone, it looks exactly the same. There's just photos of random rocks that I come across yeah. and I have to take a photo of, you know, so there's just this, this innate love that we have for mm-hmm. exploration. And yeah, that was really, I was delighted. Deb could care less. Exactly. You know? Yeah. We were just having a picnic with the puppies and it was just a sunny, cool day, you know, but it was really pretty. And in here I'm going, wow. Yeah. When did this come? You know, mm-hmm. it's like you're expecting like a plant that comes out of the soil <laughs> right. overnight, you know, it's like, wow. This just grew here. Yeah. And, the, and you look at that and you think, this is, this is just as good as Spearfish Canyon. Mm-hmm. Um, man. Yeah. So I've I've told a couple people about it, but I haven't told them where it is yet. <laughs> yeah, keep it secret. <laughs> yeah. That's a good plan. Yeah, and I'm not <sighs> fit enough, frankly, to climb on that kind of rock or here. It'd be mm-hmm. devastating because I have no jip. But yeah, but geez, you still have to go out there and do a little reconning. <laughs> yeah, you have to. So in your book, Big Walls, um, I read about you having a photo of. Royal Robbins, um, I think in your dorm room. And, you know, this, this ties into this whole having these mentors, you know, watching these people have these adventures, you know, go on these, these big grand expeditions. And that photo of, of Royal that you had on your dorm room wall, mm-hmm. um, it reminded me of something that Galen Rao used to say about having phantom mentors, mm-hmm. you know, people that that were your mentors from afar that maybe you hadn't even met at that point, you know. And Galen Rao was one of my phantom mentors. Um, and I just, I loved everything he did photography and adventure-wise. And you and Todd were phantom mentors for me, you know, reading all these things in Ohio and, you know, kind of, kind of hitching my dreams onto, onto what you and Todd were doing and Galen was doing. And until that picked up enough steam that my own dreams could start to develop on their own, you know? And I think it's so important to have those, those people to hitch your, your thoughts and ideas and dreams onto, you know, was, was Royal that way for you? Is that why that photo showed up? I think, I think you said the photo was of him on Half Dome. Um, Yeah. I had that kind of phantom mentors. Yeah. Uh, There were, there were only climbers really in the Black Hills Needles in August. Right. And then there'd be some college kids from Black Hills. But the thing that really got me was my dad had business often in Denver, and sometimes he'd take the family down. Mm. 
and there was a a motel with a nice pool and good place for kids. Yeah. And I went down and I'd already become a climber. Right. Which means I probably haven't climbed anything even as five oh at that time because mm-hmm. I didn't even know what that meant. Anyway, I pestered him to take me to a mountain climbing store. Right. And we went to uh Boulder and went to Jerry Mountain Sports. And it was kind of like Hollyabar. Bar. Um, they made down jackets, sleeping bags, and they also, they even had carabiners made with their name right. on it and pitons. And so I went down there and I, I had probably had $15 or something. And I went down and it was really difficult to st- I didn't get any hard iron because it was too expensive. Mm-hmm. But I bought some, you know, 50-cent pitons of different shapes and a couple carabiners. Jerry, Mountain Sports car- carabiners. But what really did it, more important than, and, and I didn't have a rope yet either. I'd use Rand's ore, literally, just like the old timers said, hemp piece of rope. Yeah. And it was about a three-eighths inch uh, laid rope yep, whatever you could get your hands on i took it much. through a pulley i took the pulley apart to have the rope and it was about <laughs> 35 feet long anyway what what really inspired me was i bought uh the first ascent which was 1967 and a couple books and one was i still have it it's called Rock Climbers in Action in Snowdonia. Mm. And I got that, and I think Christian Bonington's I Chose to Climb, Mm. and then this Ascent magazine. And those pictures and stories jacked me up beyond any climb I could have done for decades. Because they'd, you know, do whatever they could when they'd be able to take that one day a week off to go climbing and they'd leave their wives and their family and everything and get two people on a motor scooter and go. Mm -hmm. And the the climbs they did were pretty damn impressive. Yeah. And I just, the philosophy of that I chose to climb and those black and white pictures of these people way out, you know, and I thought, wow. Wow. And the black and white photos reminded me of the needles because it's often quite black and white there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and those guys were my real heroes. And Royal was kind of really um, not secondary, but the, those Brits, really, those photos, you know, they were the sure. rock climbers, I think, really the first. They were really psyched because they had these little ratty cliffs. Yeah. And and they made, were very interested in mm-hmm. difficulty doing things that yes. were harder being the first to do something. Mm-hmm. And on wanting to like in Royal fit in with the one upmanship, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even, you know, more uh well, I, I wanna say the other climbers I met later that like Bob Camps and Mark Powell and then those guys and they they uh were more subtle in their criticism, mm-hmm. you yeah, know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it was really fun. You know, it was just fun to hear that. And 
it was good times. But then they would go go home, and right. you wouldn't see them until the next August. Do you remember a, a moment or a time or some sort of linchpin that allowed you to start thinking, "Oh, I can do the things that they do. Mm. That I'm I'm ready for that stuff." Mm-hmm. Well, Ren would take me climbing, and um, I could always get up everything he led, mm-hmm. and I learned that. My kids didn't work very well, which are like tennis shoes. Right. But uh, in seventh grade, when wrestling started, you could get kids brand uh, um, I'm, 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 I have like wrestling with, shoes. Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. So with and like they were the, pretty the good. super soft sole, they look kind of you know, like EBs. Not a whole lot of structure, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but they work pretty well. Yeah. And uh, I could follow whatever he was willing to lead at that time. Mm. And that was really fun, but I had no idea what a grade was, like at five, eight, five, a million. Right. And the Brits, you know, we called things severe and hard severe. My right, little buddies sure. and I, that and we didn't even know what we were saying. Because that's what you're reading about. Yeah, and we just assumed that it was... <laughs> we, we we could admit to climbing severe, but not hard severe. Right. <laughs> but we didn't know what it meant. Exactly. <laughs> and I still have those books. They're pretty worn out. I had a, my dad, for some reason, gave me a briefcase. So here I was in sixth and seventh carrying grade carrying a briefcase around. with my <laughs> climbing books in it. <laughs> yeah. You knew it was going to become a, a lifelong mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And it's still, these. it's just, and still just thinking about doing certain things inspires me. Mm-hmm. And I think back on those old books, you know, I read about my adventures. That's what, and then I make uh, believe I was doing those climbs, you know. Yeah. Well, I, th- that, I think it's so important for people to document those adventures and those big dreams, whether it's, success or failure on those big adventures it's so important to have that documentation and to allow someone to read that and then build their own adventures on top of it you know and and that's something i think has gone the same way of mentorship that's sort of disappearing you know and it's so easy to just put out a, a video of your your recent adventure and not really have to think deeply about it in order to write a story about it that you know is going to convey that emotion, that feeling, that adventure to the people reading it, and you know give them this this bigger dream. Mm-hmm. You know, so and I appreciate you taking all the time to write out your adventures, your dreams, you know, and in articles and books and because it allows other people to, Mm -hmm. to dream on top of that. Well, in fact, I've been looking forward to being retired because I thought there are a lot of stories I haven't told and I'd like to tell those stories before um, my mind goes. I actually have a some kind of problem. I can't remember what it's called, 
but it's kind of like senility. Mm, yeah. It's a little coming on a little early, mm. but it's kind of scary. I bet. So I'm if if I'm halting, that's because I can't sure uh, find the word. Yeah. So, but I would like to tell some of the stories, big and small, mm-hmm. before you know, similar to that. Right. These short stories, really. Yeah. Except they are mostly true. <laughs> mostly, and that and that's important that they're only mostly true. Yeah. You know. <laughs> And I'm I'm glad you are thinking about putting those things out there because I think, like I said, those adventures and those written stories mean so much for the imagination, for the, you know, the climber who's just starting to dream mm-hmm. on their own and starting to understand, oh, I've been reading about these mythical heroes and maybe I can do the same things that they did, mm-hmm. you know, when when I was beginning to crack climb and, you know, really digging into that world, it was you and Todd, it was Huden and Jones, you know, um, Kalkenbacker, you know, my partners and I would pretend that we were those people when we were out Mm -hmm. adventuring. I did the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Even those, some of those people were younger than me, but I still Mm -hmm. pretended to be them because they were so damn good. Yeah. You know, and I see a picture, just a picture of them doing something. Wow. That, that's the, the way it looks is what I want to feel. Right. Yeah. Yep. And hopefully it would be uh, mastery, not terror. Yeah. But often it was terror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With a, with a brief moment of mastery and that's when the photos mm-hmm. snapped. Yeah. Yeah. You look at the, <laughs> and then the next day you go out climbing and there's, there's no mastery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be funny. Oh. Yeah. But it was, it was cool. And I still do that. I see these young guys like Chris Hirsch. Gee, Manese. Mm-hmm. They're so good. Yeah. You know, and it probably happens to every micro generation absolutely and you're just going holy cow and it it, you know why we couldn't climb harder early i don't know we didn't believe i think yeah well you know chris hirsch has all of these you know training grounds already created for him you Mm -hmm. know all these people have done these 511s 512s 513s and and he can build off of those into something bigger, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the necessity of what, what you guys, what Kalkenbacker, what, you know, Huden and Jones did. Mm-hmm. When you met Todd, you met him at uh, UW, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Were, did he have the same dreams or was he kind of just learning what, what that was all about. Well, he had, uh, in, 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 well, in a way, I don't think he was thinking of becoming a great rock climber. It was, it was fun. Yeah. But his dad and his uncle Courtney right. had, were really influential. Mm-hmm. Courtney having gone to uh, winter over the South Pole a number of times. Yeah. And they'd done climbing and his dad was a survival instructor during World War II. And, well, actually, just I think just right after that, but definitely the Korean War. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
just all of those adventures. And they were in the mountains. And there was a guy, I can't, Holly could tell you the name of this guy. I can't think of it now, but he was one of the very last true mountain men. Mm. You know, he wore skins and lived in the mountains always. Right. And he had these little cabins built all over. And they were just lean-tos, essentially. And Clem, their granddad, would give Bob to this trapper and say, well, just take the boy for the season and let him learn. Yeah. He didn't say teach him. He said, let him learn. Right. And that's one way they became such good guides up there is because Bob knew all the... And then Courtney and, you Mm -hmm. know, and... uh, they taught survival, you know, in the military. And they just had, uh, you know, they weren't saying, oh, gee, I wish we could be the first to climb the, the nose. They weren't so interested in that. But they did do this, I want to say, second or third ascent of Shiprock. Oh, wow. By I a didn't new know route. That. Yeah, a partial new route. Yeah. Um, it just, you know, really cool stuff. Yeah, so Todd had the adventure already built in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you can imagine having the whole Wind Rivers when you're a kid. Right. You know, of course they had to chop wood. And one of the jobs that Todd didn't like, um, it had, have you ever been to their camp? I haven't. Well, they had these, you know, an outhouse, but they had like four holers. Yeah. You know? Yep. <laughs> and, Todd's job was to make sure they were stocked with necessities and yeah. if they were clean. And his job was to every day take some slurry of lye mm-hmm. and around the rings. Wash the rings. Yeah. yeah. And then he forgot to get some fresh water to flush all that off. And he and it wasn't like 30 seconds. He went over here to oh, get a no. bucket. And his <laughs> uh, 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 Uncle Monte, who was really grouchy, came in and sat there. And he took a while, you know, reading or something. And then it started to burn and yep. blister, you know. And, Todd Skinner. And then he said a lot of other different kind of words. <laughs> oh, I think that, that was one of my favorite stories. Yeah, well... <laughs> Just fitting that it happened to the grouchy uncle. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, he's a really nice guy, but he just had a sour persona, you know, but he was was a really good guy. He was just, if he was mad, he wasn't really good. (laughs) Yeah, you need to have those, especially in a family full of big personalities. Mm -hmm. You got to have the grouchy one. So Vitavu is what you guys had, Mm -hmm. which isn't exactly the winds. Mm -mm. You know, there's nothing big in Vitavu. Is that where you and Todd really started, or you, you met Todd there, but did the two of you really start focusing on difficulty at that point? Because, you know, Vitavu is pretty small, even by mm -hmm. one pitch standards. Yeah. Well, for me, um, it was new roots more than anything. Mm. And when I was at school the first time, I uh, had probably the hardest thing I climbed there was fall wall. Mm-hmm. And I um, noticed 
Spider God, the direct start essentially to Fall Wall. <clears throat> and I dreamed about that for four years. Yeah. And there's a friend of mine, Doug, Doug Cairns. He was a really good climber, probably still is. I just haven't seen him forever. And he was doing some hard climbs there. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the Coloradans were. Anyway, I thought about that for four years. And I remember coming back on leave and going climbing with Doug. And I confided my dream of sorts right. to do this climb. <clears throat> and he said, well, it'll be there for you, you know. And I came back, and as soon as the weather got good, a uh, climbing buddy from Newcastle, Kelly Thorpe, uh, he was, uh, he liked to climb, but it, it didn't matter if he actually did. He just loved to go out and hike mm -hmm. and climb. He was a perfect belayer. And so I went out and climbed Spider God. And that was, <clears throat> that was really a kind of a turning point because it was, it was pretty hard slab, you know, mm -hmm. and I hadn't been climbing much. And so it was, kind of an eye-opener. I thought, well, gee, I can, why don't I just do more of this? Yeah. Because like Royal wrote that the prize is the first. Mm. And I took that to heart. Yeah. And I became, and I still am greedy about this stuff. You know, there's these <laughs> yeah. things that I haven't told Chris Hirsch yet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I've pointed him a lot at a, at a lot of routes that I already had equipped. And I just had not finished them. And of course, he, I had the gear in a lot of these things. I'm talking about the sport area at Rushmore. Yeah. And I'd point them out to him and he'd just climb. Oh, that was a nice climb. That was yeah. really fun. <laughs> and uh, so I'd go to follow it now and I fall off the fourth move and couldn't get through it anymore, you know. Mm -hmm. So, but it was, you know, it's that kind of thing. It's, I really, thought that doing first ascents was really important because that's the books, the English books, Royals books, um, Galen later on. Yeah. And it just seemed like that was important. Yeah. Plus, I always loved coming up with odd, most people think they're odd root names like Spider God. Right. And I don't, I can't remember where I got that name. Um, but it's a funny name. Yeah, you know, so. I think a lot of the names, you know, and you've heard me perform the the cowboy poem yeah, yeah, multiple cool. times, and mm -hmm. and that that's the inspiration for that is all of the names you and Todd and Steve and you know the other first ascensionists around here in Lander had such a poetic sensibility uh, to your names that it just led me into this. Wow, I have to use these these names to, to make a greater, you know, a, a comprehensive list of them that tells a story that is a poem, you mm -hmm. know? So to me, the names mean a lot, you know? So it's interesting that that was a, that was a reason for you to go out and do these firsts so you can give them these, these fun names, mm -hmm. you know? And I love that taking those, those first ascents, these, relatively small things in Vitavu lead into these much bigger things for you. And, and I appreciate the way that in the book, Big Walls, it, you start with all these little first ascents. You know, you talk about 
Todd and Renegade, which is mm-hmm. small in stature, but but much bigger in the grand scheme of things in Yos- in Yosemite, you know, in this place where these big walls are surrounding you, but this small thing means a lot. And you tell the stories of 4th of July crack and 11 cent moon and Beedavu, um, and just what they meant toward your progression into these bigger things. Where did the big dream to do the four walls that you talk about in big walls, which are El Cap, uh, Proboscis, Mount Hooker here in Wyoming, and uh, Half Dome. Where did the, the dream to do those big four walls originate? I think the photos, <clears throat> because like the head wall looked like photos that people have climbed. Right. But they're, you know, 60 foot long on the ground type things. Um, a lot of times I was inspired by, if you could see a crack system, that yeah. was pretty neat. And also Vitavu was quite, quite a neat uh, playground to learn there, mm-hmm. especially the flares. I really got I into liking flares. I think it's one of the best flares. places to learn crack climbing mm-hmm. anywhere. And there were some root, some roots I did there that were almost as hard as, say, the the head wall. Mm-hmm. Maybe even more technical, mm-hmm. but it it wasn't. You didn't have to worry about being scared so far off the ground. Of course, right. you get used to that. And then, if you think about it, you can fall a lot farther safely than mm-hmm. you can in Vitavu. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> um. I lost the track of so what we the, were talking about. You know, did that did the dream of those big four walls originate in Vitavu? Yeah, pretty much. Um we'd sit there and, you know, again watching looking at photos and you say, Well, gee, that looks like part of such and so. Right. You know, why you know So and, if I can climb this forty feet, mm-hmm. why can't I do that over and over and over? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh we talked about going out there a lot, and then um, Todd all of a sudden just started climbing full time, essentially, right? Um, making money during hunting season, and <clears throat> also I was doing sl- some slideshows. Not like we morphed into doing that, mm, but right. I did slideshows, and sometimes, you know, I'd get to have somebody that give me 40 bucks or something to come see the slides. And Todd really took that to heart. And especially watching Galen Rowell's show, Mm. because he didn't have a dissolve unit, but he had two slide projectors. You'd push a button and this one would light up. And then this one. And they didn't dissolve. They just click, 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 click. But it was pretty clever because you could have a stop action sequence of moves too. Mm. And that was... Relevatory to me. I thought, wow, that's really neat. Of course, then you had to get another slide projector, (laughs) you know? So you were thinking in terms of like, not only just I want to do these things, but also logistically, how can we make it happen? How can we fund it? Mm -hmm. You know, creating these slideshows, the whole, the whole package was kind of being planned together. Is that right? Yeah, you kind of had to, it, they were hand in hand if you wanted to try to make 
you're not making money. You're just edging by for the most part. That's why it was. But now I think you can get, if you do a good job, I would think you could maybe not become wealthy, but you could, you know, stay on the road more. Yeah, for sure. And of course, sponsorship then was not very lucrative, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could buy gas and go here and there and live out of a van. But if there were some people, you know, as soon as uh, people like Lynn Hill, I mean, I'm I'm assuming she's monetarily better off than, yeah, you know. But uh, I always thought it was great. Anytime a climber came with, uh, or an adventurer, mm-hmm. I just loved to see those slideshows. And it was so inspiring to me. And and plus it was a lot of fun to go yeah. to different places and for sure. Mm-hmm. Why these four walls? Why oh why those four roots? Well, the Salathe was uh, had the, the pretty cracks and quite a history. And it seemed to me that Robbins and crew, uh, who did the second ascent of the nose, I think. Um, picked their own out, you know, mm-hmm. and well, Chenard picked the path. Yeah. But I, it was a very clever linking of cracks. And it was just, it seemed they were so happy with that route. They didn't have to play, what, like half a dozen bolts is all. Right. And that in those days, you know, that was the last resort. Yeah. And nowadays it's just what you do. Yeah. And it was just seemed like a great adventure. And of course, it was a completely different climb with regard to technique. You know, they weren't trying to free it. They just wanted to get up the thing. Right. But it was the same sort of adventure, even better for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, God, can you imagine being on El Cap before anybody else? Right. Except maybe the nose, you know? Yeah, just this giant just like, sea of... Wow. And they didn't know if they could get back down. Which sure. to me, in a way, was kind of not true. I mean, if they had a dozen bolts still, they could get down, mm-hmm. you know, but it's made for a better story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's also why they derided the bolts they put in, you mm-hmm. know. They really thought it was a last resort or to rescue someone, I guess. But Yeah. Was Royal involved in all four of the walls in the book? Uh, Salathe was Hooker. Uh, Direct on Half Dome. Oh, yeah. That was his route. And Proboscis, did he? Yes. All of those were Royal Robins. Okay. Yeah, he picked out good routes. Yeah. Um, the uh, Hooker, I don't think they had any recons. You know, it's not a beautiful route line, right. you know, but it's a neat alpine wall Mm -hmm. um and then the others are amazing walls and the uh, route he chose on proboscis is was really a cool route in Mm -hmm. fact that's when todd and i went up to climb free climb proboscis it was the royals royals route we thought of right and that's the great canadian knife just what we chose was the great canadian knife which was a more modern thing it took there weren't cracks right. in a lot of places. Just so we'd big a rat. Yeah. And we'd uh 
get up them anyway. Um, but they were picking up these cracks, and it was to the right, too. And then while we were there, I believe, yeah, some uh, other climbers, European climbers came. And yeah, I think well, Spanish climbers. Yeah, and they freed a little bit of a variant on Royal's route. Right. Um, it was fun. It's then, interesting. I hadn't thought of that your route on proboscis was so much more of a modern thing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's exactly what I was talking about on hitching your dreams onto someone else's until you kind of pick up enough speed to change the, you know, grow into your own philosophies and your own ethos. And, you know, while Royal likely never would have gone up to bolt this arete Mm-mm. on this big wall, it's still his dream and adventure that led you into the same wall, creating your own dream and adventure. Mm-hmm. I think so. You know, and Royal, or Royal uh, Galen was with us, of course, and he was very alarmed when we decided to not <laughs> really? go on the Robins and yeah. take this essentially blank. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't blank. I mean, for the most part, there were just several sportish yeah, uh, parts of it blank in terms of cracks, and, mm-hmm. and that's what most people. And we, for. you know, we aid up something to get over to something. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and so we did a lot of aid climbing to get to a good pitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it was it worked great. Um, yeah, just the modern new ideas that come out of following someone else's adventure. You and know, I would that's think what pushes that, this along. I would think that people. Uh, repeat that and think it's yeah. pretty cool rude. Yeah. You know, I haven't heard of people doing that, but I, you know, it's, it's so striking. Yeah. So, and of course y- we did look at that and we also looked at to the dihedral mm-hmm. to the left of it. And that is like climbing in a hothouse, except in the Arctic, it's really wet and mm. it never gets light. And yep. n- nobody would climb that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think unless, you know, 200 years from now when the world is, all the water's gone and everything, you know, maybe. But that was a cool route. One of the things I see often today is this constant switching of of partners. You know, um, I see a lot of brands put together random teams of people to go climb a thing and you and Todd had this 20 plus year partnership of climbing big important things together why did that why did the partnership with you and Todd work so well well first of all I always like to say, and it was kind of true for a short time, was he was a really good belay slave. Yeah. Because he was still learning and he hadn't done a whole lot outside of his family's climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he just saw, wow, this is, first of all, it's really fun, you know. Yeah. Um, we could, at, at Vidavur, the Needles or Fremont Canyon or wherever we were, you could climb things that, other people have done 
learn from that. Uh, dare to try some new routes. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you kind of have to dare yourself to do them because you, you're you looking around and climbers can be pretty biting. You yeah. know, like you're not ready to do this. Right. You know, which I always say, well, you're never not too young to do it, you know. So what if you screw up? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm even royal put bolts in on occasion. Sure. You know, but. Um, the partnership, you and Todd, why'd it work? Well, we both had a lot of fun and we thought a lot of things were funny. Yeah. And. Was there a competition there at all? Between us? In the later years? No, yeah. I, I'm always kind of competitive even if it's uh the best person in the world i always you know even if i'm not going to go up there and say get down from there i have to be the first one Mm -hmm. you know but um i was always jealous still am of people like right now i'm jealous of people that can lead 510 (laughs) 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 although maybe i did one the other day but it was one move it doesn't count but uh it, climbing is competitive, and yeah. it can be viciously so. Um, but I think we just had, we laughed a lot, you know, d- love to go different places, seeing new things. Or Todd was even more interested in repeating hard things too. Right. And uh, he was traveling quite a bit and you know I Karn was just a little kid then so I couldn't really go a lot you know but that's a good thing to do is turn you know see what other people are doing yeah and and there's a lot of competitiveness oh wow in yeah. that yeah you know? look at the stigma yeah uh, you know oh my god talk about international bickering mm-hmm. you know and people have improved on it that's what climbers are supposed to do. You know? Yeah. I mean, you could say, oh, well, Royal Robbins and crew, South A doesn't count anymore, which is absurd. That was the coolest ascent it'll ever have. Mm-hmm. If they bolted the hole every six inches, it'd still be the coolest to do it first, you know? Right. Um, and I think there are a lot of people who would say what you and Ta did on it was the coolest and what, you know, Huden and Jones did on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were followed those by guys you and Todd amazing. was the coolest. Um, and it all just sort of depends on what it is we've decided we love about it. And that's those are things built on the accomplishments of the people who came before. You know, we we can only see so far into the future and what the what the next iteration of this thing looks like. Mm-hmm. We can only see so far. You know, no one in 1970 was thinking about 515D, mm-hmm. you know, which Alex Magos just did the second 515D in the world. Nobody thought about that back then because that was so far ahead. But they were thinking, you know, 13C, mm-hmm. 13D, 14A. Mm-hmm. Those, those things were starting to materialize a little bit. And it's, you know, we think whatever that, slightly earlier generation was is the coolest mm-hmm. you know you think royal's ascent was the coolest and some people think your ascent was the coolest and well you know i would read these 
uh, guidebooks or listen to stories or uh, a magazine. And I remember, I can't remember that, you know, Greg Lowe was an amazing mm. climber and he did a lot of things that were way ahead of the standards. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if he sought them out more than he would any other line, like, oh, that looks really cool. And there's a thing he did, I might be way off on this name, but there's a route uh, kind of over where T2 starts in okay. El Dorado, and it might be called Clever Lever, mm -hmm. and it, I think they call it 512, and he just climbed it, right? you know, and people say, well, that's not so hard. Well, that was 35 years ago or something, or maybe more. Right. And I think Backer was the first one to repeat it. And, you know, people of that talent, it's just really cool and inspiring. And, well, it can't be that hard. But I think he called it 510. Sure. You know? Yep. So, man, and never mind Jeff, but Greg, geez. Mm -hmm. He's kind of overlooked, but boy, he did some hard stuff, which was really inspiring yeah. everywhere he went. And I know? think we all bring these interesting, different talents to it. Um, you know, you you write in the book that up on the Salathe, you were kind of the choreographer and Todd was the dancer. Like you could come up with these clever sequences that that Todd didn't see. Uh, and then Todd was able to master them a little faster and mm -hmm. repeat them faster yeah. than you were. Um, and I think partnerships like that need that sort of, you know, different talents. You know, you, you bring the, initially you brought the mentorship to it and Todd brought the, he's a good belay slave, you mm -hmm. know, and then years down the road, you're up on the Salathe and you're able to see the sequences that, that Todd's then able to execute. Mm -hmm. um, I think good partnerships have to have those radically different talents in order to, to work. Yeah, and it, it, it did work. I mean, it was, you know, like the uh, first pitch of the, uh, the jeez, oh, the head wall. Oh yeah, yeah. That first little pitch. Yep. Um, at that time, there was there wasn't a bolt there. There was a piton down low, and you had to do the crux to get. And it was kind of scary there to get you know? to the first pro. Yeah, and the first uh, actual crack. Because there was a flare that kind of went over mm. here and then a little swooping crack over here. And it yeah. was just a couple little crimpy things that was hard. But if you fell, you'd land on your blayer right. and then fall past him, right. you know. And it was supposed to be my turn. Mm. And we'd top roped it before. Um and I just thought, Jesus, I can't. I'm too chicken to do it right now, you know. So Todd just danced across it. And it mm. was like such a relief. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other one was fine. You know, we, that, there was really good pro on that. And maybe people laugh about that now because you wouldn't get hurt. You might land on the belayer, but it wouldn't probably even hurt. But 
I thought it was just terrifying in in that spot, you know. Yeah. That's one point where I really was glad he, it might have been scary, but he, Mm -hmm. you know. And having that partner to, A, to be able to admit, I'm I'm too scared to try this right now. Mm -hmm. I think that takes a, a certain level of comfort that you build over 15, 20 years of partnership there's like you said it's it can be fiercely competitive so if it's a new climber someone you're not used to being on these big dream projects with it's a little harder to admit i'm scared to do this right now mm-hmm. yeah and later you might be cuz that but that was the case you know there were times when i i did a pretty good job of route finding and yeah move figure and outing mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh a uh, couple of them it, they just felt fell to him, which was terrific. Mm-hmm. But I'll never forget that first part of the Salthe. It just spooked the hell out of me that morning. And I was delighted when he I got to top rope it. Yeah. And it, I didn't fall or anything. I had before, yeah. you know, on a top rope. But uh, that was fun. And then away we went, you know. Yeah. Was, Can we, so one of the things I love about Big Walls, the book, is that it starts out by telling the stories of these, these smaller climbs that could be viewed if you, you were just looking at the big things as insignificant. And then it builds into these bigger things and ultimately into, into you not completely seeing the whole dream through um, on Half Dome when Todd is laser focused in on this this route that that you've both really wanted to do you know that and that may have been your dream initially through well i campaigned that for el cap yeah um but it's a good thing we didn't because it would there are a lot more decisions to make there Mm -hmm. and that's why i bailed is there were people watching us all the time right and it was just because they knew we were going up on that. And, you know, Royal was criticized for using so many bolts on that, mm. which was nothing compared to. Well, Galen pointed out there were more bolts in that than on the nose or the Don Wall or something. Right. Like that. But, you know, every climb is different. Mm-hmm. And but anyway, I just finally and I had I had pressures at home. Yeah. You had just gotten married. Stuff like that. And it was uh, I just became overwhelmed sure and i still feel bad about it you know it's kind of a long time ago um why do you feel bad about it now well because i felt i still feel i abandoned him there Mm -hmm. to take the climbing would eventually go yeah but the acrimony and you know people hiking all the way up there to yell at you and the, right. they did that on the solitaire too. Sure. Hang dogs. John Sherman. He was the funniest <laughs> one. He was down on the street. And if it was the wind was right, you could hear, hang dogs. Hang dogs. <laughs> that doesn't surprise and, me at all no. from Sherman. Well, you know, he uh, was really the one that got Todd interested in, and not so much as me. I went off. Uh, on the photos that I'd seen of that. I mm-hmm. thought, oh, that just looks so cool. But John had climbed the 
Solothay. Mm. And he said to Todd, when Todd was working on the stigma, he said, well, geez, if you can climb that, um, you should go on the Solothay. Right. And he probably sorry said that because he he was you know ragged Todd and I anyway you know I was like John I I had a big blow up with John one time I was really mad at him one day and uh, I'm not mad about it anymore I mean it just you know <laughs> and I don't know if he's still mad I talked to him a little while ago actually yeah uh, taken aside uh, here I live in my hometown moved back little bitty town yeah. I don't know if there are any active climbers there anymore. And I get a phone call from this lady, and they just bought this decrepit hotel they're remodeling. And she said, uh, we have some mountain climbing pictures we found in the basement. They're slides. Hmm. And I don't know what to do with them. Would you like to have them? And I said, uh, well, okay. So I got this, like, three ring binder, you know, chock full of slides. Yeah. And I'm, you're going to have to help me here, but it was uh, a climb of the Trango Tower. Oh, really? And S S Rob Slater. Yeah. Is that it? He died on yep. K2? Yeah. All right, all right. I'm, uh, my mind is going. Yeah, he so. was partner with Randy Levis. Yes. Often yes. back then, uh -huh. yeah. And a good friend with uh, John Sherman. Mm-hmm. Anyway, here are all these slides. It was booked. The, it on the cover said something about this was the number third or second or first. Wow. He had thousands of slides of this, and, and here is just this one. Well, apparently his brother had a, this girl that sold the building. They were a couple. Mm. And then they broke up, and he, somehow he forgot these. And I said, geez, this is Rob Slater's, you know, some of this. I got to... And I didn't know who to give it to. So I called uh, Randy Levitt and also John Sherman and mm -hmm. just left messages. Yeah. And I got responses to the, from them and told me where to send slides for his brother. So I did. And I know he got it. He didn't reply, but John said, yeah, he got it. And that's good. And he was happy to have him. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. But in Newcastle, you know, so, you're the mountain climber. We have some pictures you might so like funny. to have, you know. And if it had been somebody else, they might have said, oh, God. Yeah. You know. what, what's the point of these? Yeah. Let's pitch them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've bumped into John and Waco several times over the last few years and had some really fun, entertaining conversations with that guy. Oh, he's fun. He's very sharp. Yeah. And he's a really good climber. And I had couple run-ins with him but i've always liked john you know he might not know that but uh, <laughs> i really admire him He's, and i the the coolest i always thought when he first came up with the v grade with no yeah. limit yeah that it should be that way for everything well now it is 515 right. 5, right whatever yeah they used to be closed-ended mm -hmm. scales mm -hmm. yeah. yeah when you get to in people even really got upset when they came up with 510 because right. five ten is numerically the same as five one, right? But I can't even add, so it doesn't make any difference to me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh God, I've never uh, balanced a checkbook. I've tried. Oh, I'm, I'm not, just really bad at numbers. I'm not built for numbers. Mm -mm, me neither. Yeah. Golly. 
But anyway, wherever we were. I think we were on Half Dome, and you're still feeling bad about it. And you know something I thought about it when I was looking through the book again last night? It occurred to me that had you not left, then Nancy would have never gotten to be part of the story. Steve Bechtel wouldn't, wouldn't have gotten to be part of the story. Mm-hmm. And so I think you, you growing a different direction and, and feeling like, okay, I need, to, I need to go handle these things. I need to take care of these things. Those are more important to me right now. Gave Steve Bechtel the chance to go and have this adventure with Todd. You know, and now with hindsight being 2020, we can look back and see the, you know, the major importance of being able to have those adventures now that Todd is gone. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, that's something Steve gets to hang on to forever. And essentially mm-hmm. that was a gift from you because you could have stayed up there and oh, well, hogged it to, to yourself. Talk to Steve about this. Yeah, it should <laughs> Steve's going to owe you something for this. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I didn't think about it that time. I was just very relieved yeah. that uh, other people stepped in. Yeah. Because I, I thought that wouldn't be as hard as it was. Mm-hmm. And then I had personal pressures that really s- slayed me. Sure. And that with the hollering. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just a bunch of, and I, I just, I never could understand that anyway. Was Todd just better at like putting his head down and forging ahead no matter what? Yeah. And I think he kind of, in a, in a way, masochistic way, kind of enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, we're, we're going to do this anyway, mm-hmm. you know, why not just try to ignore it? Sure. You know, um, but it was a it was a good deal. It wasn't. I don't think it would be the most enjoyable route compared to others. Right, you know, just <laughs> razor shaped stuff. But um, and that that was you know the Warren Harding stick to it. Yeah, Todd Skinner stick to it. Yeah, on so many other projects, you know, and before mm-hmm. the Renegade. Man, that took a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's funny if you're trying to climb hard. It often works out that, say it's 5.10, you, you know, 5.8 is the hardest you've ever done. You're going to try to climb a technically difficult 5.10, and you just work at it and work at it and work at it like people did with clunky hiking shoes, mm-hmm. you know. All these things make a difference. But anyway, um, they finally climb it, and they find that, uh, oh, I bet I can do another one. And then pretty soon that wouldn't have, you, you look back at it and you say, well, gee, that wasn't that hard because a lot of it's between your ears. You know, you're strong enough physically. You're just not believing it enough. Yeah. Even if you think you do, you say, I know I'm going to get this. Well, then why didn't you do it two weeks ago? It's not any easier, mm-hmm. you know? And I think most people that are trying to do hard things find that, you know, you'll fall off, hang there, you know, do it. 
doggone it, come down, pull a rope, go again, fall off, pull back up, easy. You know, it's, it's yeah. so mental, yep. you know? And I think it, it's still that way. It's, it's going to be that way forever. Definitely is. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest parts of improving as a climber is learning how to, how to sit within that, that mental space and understand it and grow into it. And there's some things, you know, you just climb them and it was so fun and so nice. And then you're doing a first ascent and you climb it and it was so nice. And then there are those, those ones that just keep slapping you. Yeah, just the hateful and ones. why? You know, it's just, it's just crazy, you know, and then all of a sudden you do it. And, well, you know, one of the, one of your roots actually was that for me, um, for, for a lot of summers before I lived here, I would come and I would try Atomic Stetson and, and it was always, it was a different move every year that slapped me down over and over and over. And I just had the hardest time mentally connecting it all together you know it never felt possible because there was always one move like i said different moves that felt impossible to me that year and then last summer i thought oh, i'll just try it again and all of a sudden i could just do it mm -hmm. you know i was just i was just ready i wasn't physically stronger than i had been in the years past i was just ready for it it was kind of the same with me on that you know i could climb everything easily but there was uh, about two-thirds of the way up or something, mm -hmm. I would just fail. Yeah. You know, it wasn't any harder. It was just up in here yeah. between my ears. And uh, one day I was up there, and there was a young couple climbing Baba Louie. Mm -hmm. And they, they were asking me questions. So how would you climb that? So I well, um, maybe I – can I – you know, would you blame me? And I went and climbed it and um, came down. And for some reason, it just thought, well, that looked, didn't look very hard. Right. But I'd done it 8,000 times. Mm -hmm. And so they went up and just one or the other climbed it. And they went, wow. You know, maybe it inspired him a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, well, heck, I'm here. I might as well give this thing a whirl again. And I just climbed it. And it was Kind of a letdown, and yeah. it was also disappointing because <laughs> it took 39 years to do it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But it's funny how those things work. It is. You know, if you look up at Cerebrus, or th this climb in the needles has so many names. Mm -hmm. that you and you tell the story of it in the book as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that meant so much to me, and it still does. I still climb that, and I just think it's i do think it's a wonderful climb but uh being able to just climb that was the probably the coolest thing i've ever done and it's mm. five eight yeah know? i can five, climb eight, that every day 40 you know? feet tall or something yeah yeah it was just uh i just climbed it with james like three or four days ago nice so it was cool it was really neat that's the one where his shoes his, oh, that's where his, his shoes his were big poking toes out. were literally sticking out. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I'm just going to wear my shoes from now on. His hiking shoes. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, Paul, I, I appreciate and always have your 
your poetic sensibility in you know in writing about your adventures and in your dreams and your successes and failures and and that's something I really appreciate about Big Walls the book and and the people out there who are listening who haven't seen the book or haven't read the book should definitely pick it up it's it's filled with these poetic stories and musings and lessons uh, you know that you've learned from routes both big and small easy and hard um and i think that you know the idea that there's something to learn from all of it and that something 40 feet tall and 5 8 can be the coolest thing you've done when when your resume includes the first free ascent of the Salathay or of Mount Hooker or Proboscis, the Great Canadian Knife, you know, among hundreds and thousands of other things, is just such an important lesson to keep in mind. So, you know, I appreciate you putting your words out there. I, I'm glad you're going to continue to put those stories out, get those stories down so that we have them. And, and I appreciate you sitting down and taking the time. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. Yeah. I am incredibly lucky to get to call Paul a friend and to get to have these kinds of conversations with him. And I'm lucky that he was there as a phantom mentor when I started climbing with his writing, his photos, and with his adventures. At the blog post for this episode, you'll find more about Paul cowboy poem and how you can pick up a first edition signed copy of Paul's book, Big Walls, Breakthroughs on the Free Climbing Frontier. You'll also find thousands of articles, training plans, courses, and products that can help you become a better climber. We recently overhauled the website to make it easier to navigate all of that advice. You can find us on Instagram and YouTube at Power Company Climbing, but you won't find us on Twitter because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. you just said, well, I'm 34. <laughs> and um, a lot of people your age, you said that like, I'm only 34. But yeah. a lot of people say, well, I can't do that because I'm 34. Yeah. Yeah. And that happened on the Solithay. These guys were, uh, I think we came through them. And then we sat on the block, which is about three fourths of the way up, I think.
And they were saying, this one guy goes, well, yeah, you young guys. Well, I was six years older than he was. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I always think that kind of thing is funny.